Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Slice of Cheese with Jenny Linford on Food FM. Savor the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Tesco, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon, and specialist food retailers. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Hello, welcome to A Slice of Cheese, the Food FM radio series that celebrates the world of cheese. I'm Jenny Linford, a food writer and cheese enthusiast, the author of Great British Cheeses. Cheese is a delicious and fascinating food, and we're setting out to explore this remarkable food and share the stories of the people who make, sell and love it. From cauliflower cheese to cheese straws, cheese is a much-loved ingredient in British cookery. I talk to food writers across Britain about how they enjoy cooking with cheese, starting with the legendary Diana Henry, whose classic cookbook, Roast Figs, Sugar, Snow, has just been re-released in a beautiful new edition. Food writer Ross Clark tells me about cheese in the Welsh kitchen. And yes, we do discuss Welsh rarebit. Scottish food writer Sue Lawrence, who came to fame when she won MasterChef in 1991, is infectiously enthusiastic on the joys of cheese scones and other pleasures of the Scottish kitchen. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. This week on A Slice of Cheese, we're exploring British cheese cookery. I'm absolutely thrilled to have with me today Diana Henry, the acclaimed food writer, Dan has written many wonderful cookbooks, which I have all of them. And one of the latest to be reissued is Roast Figs, Sugar and Snow, with the wonderful subtitle, Food to Warm the Soul. Hello, Diana. Hi. So nice to have you on the show. Your food writing, and when I follow you on Insta, you always make me hungry, Diana. And I thought it'd be really nice to talk to you about cheese. Is that an ingredient that you have an affection for? Yes. I can't imagine a day without eating cheese. In fact, the cheddar was finished last night. There was nothing but like half a tub of feta in the fridge. And it was, how did I let that happen? So it's not <laughs> coming later on today. But um, it, cheddar is the kind of like go-to. And when I, I, went, I lived in France for a year as an au pair. And the thing that I really missed was, was cheddar, actually. In that land of fantastic cheeses, there was nothing really like that. So it was that and um, chocolate digestive biscuits that I most missed. <laughs> From the UK. <laughs> but so my, my English dad who lives in Italy, he really pines for cheddar and I sort of take it over to him because, I mean, this is a very versatile cooking cheese, isn't it? I mean, it's one of the, there's something, yeah, I just think it's remarkably versatile cheddar because it's so handy, you can mix it in. No, it's brilliant. And it's, I think I don't use it in fine enough because I was thinking about this. I don't use it in salads very much. I stayed with a, a, a French family a couple of years after I was an au pair and they had these, they had a salad every day, which kind of had everything. It had raw cauliflower in it, raw carrots, lots of greens. And, um, but they actually, they got cheddar to have with that salad, but they didn't put it in it. They ate it on the side, but um, it was lovely. It was kind of had a, a mustard in, so honeyish dressing. So it was mm. a little bit sweet. And that, and I've been making that, you know, from all those years ago, because I thought it's a great way to get all of those vegetables in you, but also you've got, you've got cheese with it, which I think works incredibly well. It's the go-to. And I feel a bit, sometimes I feel a bit bad about it because I treat it like the way you might treat your family. Oh, it's always there. So (laughs) I'll I'll kind of like use it to make anything, to be honest with you, because I'm not precious about it. And the same about Parmesan, it's, you know, it's here all the time. So the ones I'm kind of like more careful of and tend to kind of like indulge in rather than necessarily cook with are things that I feel are 
well, either they're mild or they just have a fantastic kind of texture that you don't want mm-hmm. to change in any way. Last year, I did a, a big kind of journey into British and Irish cheeses because I felt I hadn't done it for a long time. My cheese, my cheese kind of education basically kept, came through France. And then I went for years to this place in the Savoie every Christmas. I mean, it stopped when I had children because then you're homebound. But they had cheeses from the Savoie and the Jura. And they also had, they had a special little a thing called La Boite au Fromage, which was just a cheese restaurant, which was a small restaurant attached to the hotel, as well as having the kind of like the restaurant hotel as well. But that's where I, um, you know, tried Tartiflette for the first time and things like that. And I really, they also had, a, they had a, if you had dinner there rather than going to the, the special restaurant, you kind of got three tiers of Savoie cheeses in kind of like peak condition. Gosh. And it was, well, do you know what? It was kind of hell in a way because at nighttime after, you know, when it came to the cheese course, the man who was the kind of like metric, he'd say, mm, vous avez choisi, madame. And I didn't want to choose at all, but it was, it, it was a big cheese education. And I cooked a lot when I got home. There's a book on the food of Savoie by a, an American actress. I think she's called Miriam Carlin. Um, but I cooked a lot out of that because they do pancakes. They have loads of gratins, which oh. use cheese and cheese with cream or cheese with stock. So it's kind of like it's not as rich. And I suppose I that was what pushed me to cook more with cheese. But last year when I looked at these, I looked at some British cheeses that I'd never tried before. And I was especially interested to see what ones were like the French cheeses that I buy. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do they compare? There was um, one called St. Jude, which I love. And when I got this, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's just small. I ate practically all of it by myself in one sitting. I mean, it was just so good. Tiffany <laughs> Julie Cheney, who makes it, and she'll be thrilled oh, to hear that. It is oh a delicious, God. I agree. You can just go just back, don't you? Another little bit. I feel kind of like bad about it because, you know, so much care is put into cheeses, like wine. You sort of always think you're kind of honouring the effort that someone has made to make those. So I think I think they're a great thing. The other one I discovered, and I'd never had this before, a one called Rollwright, oh, which yeah. is a, a, a Reblochon. That was fantastic mm. as well. And then of course I knew about Baron Vigo, so I'd had it before. Um, but there were others that, I mean, I'd never had Old Winchester. That was a first. Um. And when I got... When I got that into the house, kind of like cheddar went out the window because you know it's 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 stronger. It's a lot yeah. stronger, and yeah. the boys fought over it. What was incredibly good with that one because this is the kind of thing you have to think about if you're going to cook with cheeses: what the texture is and how they will melt, but also their strength. Because I thought Old Winchester was brilliant to make um, little croquettes or croquettas with, mm. because in a better way than I mean, cheddar's just milder, really. So yeah. it doesn't work as well as that. But with a cheese as strong as Winchester, you can mix it, you know, with the bechamel to make the croquettas and then let that set and then make it into little balls. Mm. And it's it's um its flavour carries right through because it's so strong. Brilliant. I mean, that is a really interesting point, isn't it? And I think, you know, when I was thinking about cheese and, you know, and how it's used in the kitchen, I mean, it's just... You've just having that one word, cheese, is sort of inadequate, isn't it? Because there's so many types cheese. of cheese. I and know. there's so many textures and there's so many ways you could go with it. So it's sort of... But in fact, we should talk... Because it's, you know, it's autumn and winter, we should think about melt... You know, cheese's capacity to melt is one of the great things about it, isn't it? Yep. Yes. And the best for those, I suppose, are the kind of like... It, it's French, it's Beaufort, it's um, Gruyere, it's it's all all those things. So the Beaufort, I didn't know at all till I went to France... And that would be my, that's my favourite melting cheese that's of that mm. kind of texture rather than something you might use for a raclette. I think it's it, it's just got, it's got a lovely kind of nuttiness, I think, mm. I mean, it's kind of like fruity as well, but but it's a lovely nuttiness. And when I'd had that um, in France, when we came back from that first trip to the Savoie, we had that for Saturday lunch for just months on end. <laughs> just that with an apple salad with hazelnuts in it, both of which kind of like, reflected back on on yeah. the both four and that and that was good but I love as well I mean who doesn't love Reblochon kind of like to melt all over a pan of cheeses and stuff like that and I was looking for something like that 
last year when I was looking into um, British ones, um, there is a cheese which I didn't know about called Winslade. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of like you can make your own little, if you bake that in the box, you know, you always make your own little fondue out of that. So mm. you can sit there. One person can sit there because it's only enough for one with your potatoes and your, you know, ham and all the things that you might eat if you were in France eating that kind of thing. And it's got a little, it's, it just bakes beautifully in the box. Mm. Little, you've got to break it, break it, make a little kind of like nick in it and then put, put some white wine in as well. And um, I think that's lovely. That's a really good melter. And Lancashire cheese, do you ever cook with that? Because that does melt a treat too. Do you know what? I don't think, I think it does okay. I don't think it does <laughs> brilliantly. Although you want it for its flavour sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I make that um, Lancashire cheese and onion pie. Yes, I love that. A lovely yeah. large pastry. And yep. that's gorgeous. But this will not make me popular. But Lancashire cheese is one that I don't adore because it's quite mild, actually. I think that's... Yes, it is problem. mild. I agree. It typically is mild. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Last year, I also, I've learned to make two kinds of layered cabbage soups. And that, they don't sound great when you just say that. They remind you <laughs> of science. But there's one that I make that's from the um, Alto Adige, so it's like northern Italian. And then there's one as well that I tasted in the Savoie, which is cabbage layered up with rye bread and then you pour chicken stock into it and you let that cook like that covered and then you can you can either um put in the cheese as you layer it or some people like to they like to kind of like mess the whole thing up once it's ready and cooked and then they add the cheese at that stage but last year oh it it was a kind of another cheese that I tried an Irish one and it's called um Killeen Gouda so it's made with goat's milk. I think the woman who makes it, she's actually, I think she's actually Dutch. There's loads of German and yeah. Dutch people in Ireland. And honestly, if you throw a stick, you'll hit one of them. There's so many of them. <laughs> um, it's just a big thing. Kind of a lot of kind of food interested people came over there. And I think also, I think people, I think they like the landscape. Empty and it's beautiful and everybody's very friendly. But the she's got a Colleen Gouda that's made with goat's cheese, but not like any kind of Gouda I had ever tasted before. It's sweet, slightly sweet, nutty and floral, and has a little bit of a goat's cheese thing. And that was brilliant in this cabbage. And I made it with rye bread and wow. layered it up. And it was absolutely gorgeous. I didn't know how it would melt. And it melted kind of like, not in a massively elastic way, but you don't need that. Mm-hmm. Um, it just melted in the layers. And um, that was another cheese I kind of discovered last year. And I thought, you got every so often I get this thing. It's like this with all types of food. You think, I don't know enough about this. Or I might be missing something. Mm. I did go shopping for unusual cheeses or cheeses I didn't know very well, much more before I had children. Because then I had the time to go off and find different places in London where I could buy things. And last year, I just thought, "What? Why am I doing this? Because they're all online. I don't have I to go." Just like to say that, yeah. I mean, I know. you know, lots of them had to because of COVID, because of the pandemic. Oh, I know. People, you know, so that whole even shops, you know, that hadn't had done a lot went online. Yeah. You know, it was a lifesaver. No, no we had no dry deliveries at that. Not only just to have the cheese, it was just like, you know, you were trying to kind of do everything that you could to support sources yes um, because otherwise that they, they might not have survived quite but now um i also as well as neil's yard i ordered quite a lot of stuff from the courtyard dairy yeah. and also he they're just they're small companies so if you order like you end up ordering two of one and you have to phone them and say oh i made a mistake about that you know they deal with it immediately yeah yeah no they're great they and actually what's interesting you know what's interesting about being able to go online is you can get access to cheeses because cheese is still very linked to place to where it's produced often absolutely so you can you know so actually you wouldn't some cheeses just won't come down to london everyone always thinks that you can get everything in london that's just not true so you've been able to go online to shops you know that are regional that they've got their local cheeses there and you can also, find them it's also great because in the way that you used to go in and talk to a cheesemonger about what you might want to buy online you can you can just read all these descriptions and I basically bought stuff and buy stuff just because of the description like, oh my that sounds good that sounds good <laughs> um there's one called do you have you heard of this one ogle shield ogle shield yes that's a oh. yeah yeah he makes, no, that's yeah. one I wouldn't I wouldn't cook with in the way that I wouldn't cook with St. Jude because it just seems too fantastic oh, that's interesting. yes 
that's sitting in front of me and I'll eat it that <laughs> week. Yeah, this is brilliant. I'm loving this in cheese enthusiasm. I mean, one of the things that I was thinking about, Diana, was that, you know, when I go into a British supermarket and I look at the cheese section, the cheeses are, you know, are very diverse and they come from lots of different countries. And yeah. so in a way, our, the repertoire of what we have to cook with, I mean, I was thinking, you know, feta, halloumi, Burrata, you know, they're all there in supermarkets now, aren't they? Burrata's so over now, Jenny, the way I read that yesterday. <laughs> One of those bloody oh. things that just kind of is like, oh, stop it. <laughs> you know, if it was never, if it didn't come in, it wouldn't have to go out. Just kind of like a cheese is a exactly. cheese. Do you know, it'll stay there. The thing is, I mean, I mean, I think to go back to that point of the, the, the variety that cheese offers someone who enjoys cooking and eating is you, you know, some cheeses are these lovely, gentle delicate things that really in a way you know with the burrata you know I wouldn't want to cook with a burrata I'd want to no. eat it I no. mean yeah you'd eat it wouldn't you and you'd eat it and then the fun would be the pairing I and mean, that must be fun for you Diana because you're always so clever about how you put things together and play with flavors I and textures. I think a salad is a very good way actually to play with cheeses because it's a kind of small canvas in a way with not many components but you're able to do things. I, I think one of the most important things in cooking is contrast. I think that's what I'm all, I think it's what everybody is always into apart from the intensity of flavor. Um, but there you can put a cheese, which you know well with something else. And they're always, they're always kind of like obvious kind of pairings. Like um, in the summer, peaches, gorgonzola, mascarpone, mm. honey, you know, um, some almonds, whatever. I mean, that's just kind of wonderful. And I think, I mean, people are very snooty about goat's cheese salads, but the first salad I had that made me think about cheese as a salad ingredient was an unpacked when I was, I think it was about 19. And it was, it was goat, a grilled goat's cheese salad with radicchio. My mm. boyfriend at the time, and it was like, what is this? What is this red stuff? Have they put sort of red cabbage in this? I'd never heard of radicchio. No. And it was quite bitter. Yeah. Um, but also it worked in incredibly well. And on that same trip, actually, I remember having a goat cheese with, with cherries just on a picnic. Ah, lovely, yeah. And that kind of like seemed wonderful. Um, but there are, there are cheeses that I have looked at in a different way because of eating them in the country that they come from. I was in, I was in Amalfi, the Amalfi Coast last, well, it was autumn, actually, it was October. And I mean, here I do get, I do make an effort to get fresh ricotta, so not just the UHT stuff yeah. that's in every supermarket. Because it, it's just, it's not the same thing at all. But in Naples and Malfe, oh my God, the ricotta was like nothing else. It was so, well, creamy, but sweet. It felt like a sort of like new cheese, like a, a sort of yeah. like a baby cheese that wasn't quite developed. And I had never really cooked with ricotta, but I found there what it was is it made this great little pools of contrast everywhere. Mm. Like there was, I had a pizza, which was pretty hot. So it was with um, nduya and mm-hmm. little chili peppers and all the rest of it. But if you put, if you've got, and I mean kind of like, not smears, actual little lumps of the yeah. hot up over the top of that. That's mm. just fantastic. So it's good for that. It just makes these little little oases of mildness, mildness and sweetness. Yes. And that, that really works. The other thing it's good for as well, and again, it was just because I had I had this dish in Naples. They do a dish with a it's tomato sauce, so it's tomato sauce with pasta. But kind of half of the tomato sauce is taken out through the cooking time, and then that's mixed with ricotta and parmesan. So when you come to kind of finally serve it, you the mixture of the ricotta sauce and the pure tomato sauce. So again, you have this kind of like contrast, which is just brilliant, I think. Oh, that sounds really good. Because I said to the boys when I kind of came home, I said, I think I'm going to make that sauce, you know. And they were kind of like, Mum, that was very rich. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> They're not like me, my children. They're very, very healthy. Um, <laughs> but I just think it's, I think it's glorious. And the other thing is, if you're kind of cooking for friends, it takes pasta and tomato sauce to another level, but without an awful lot more effort. Yes, I mean, that is one of the joys of cheese. And in fact, it goes back to what you were saying. You know, it's there, someone, you know, the cheesemaker has worked really hard to develop the flavour and the texture. Yeah. And then really, if you want a simple meal, you know, I mean, obviously we are talking about cooking, but also if you think of eating, one of the joys of cheese is just to be able to open up and think, oh, I want, you know, so I'll, yeah, open up the fridge, 
hope that I've got, you know, some decent cheese in it and then have it there, you know, to room temperature, but then make a salad, you know, to go with it. At the end of a meal, um, I think one of the best kind of ends to a meal I've ever had was this. They had they had their own apple orchard. So it was apples from their trees, hazelnuts. It was in the autumn and um, Montgomery's cheddar. Oh, and it was, it was just like, why would you make a pudding, actually, yeah. if you can have that? Oh, actually, in fact, since you brought up puddings, cheese, you know, cheese desserts, you know, cheese is, again, so versatile, isn't it? And there are, you know, then there's a whole sort of realm of, of, of cheese desserts, isn't there? Um, and, you know, dishes that you can have for dessert. I mean, cheesecake and, you know. I, lo- I, I really love a kind of, I spent ages trying to get this right because I don't like traditional, well, kind of like, the super, the kind of like supermarket cheesecake, which is the biscuits and the everything and the cream cheese. I like the the real kind of um the German thing. It's yeah. a baked one, but it's made with really low fat quark oh. because mm-hmm. if you don't yeah, it's too rich. Yeah. So I love that. And I think there's definitely these days there's much more um of a cooking going on with fruit, mm-hmm. like um griddled or roasted honeyed apricots that you can then put goat's curd in that's another thing that's been quite recent i think the curd thing yes i mean it's not everywhere so it's quite hard always to use it in recipes in case people can't get it but a very mild a very mild creamy goat's cheese can stand in Mm. for that lovely with beetroot that's another lovely combination isn't it goat's cheese and beetroot you know goat's curd and beetroot that's very yeah very nice. Well, Diana, that was lovely to talk to you. Um, that was such a treat. Um, so thank you for taking the time. It's much oh, it's a pleasure. It's so good to talk about enthusiasms. Otherwise, I just bore the children. <laughs> you can call me any time, Diana. Thank you. I'm a huge fan of Peter's Yard's crackers, and they go beautifully with cheese. All Peter's Yard's crackers are made in small batches using quality natural ingredients and their sourdough starter slowly fermented for 16 hours for award-winning flavour and crunch. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Tesco, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon and specialist food retailers. I'm very happy to have with me today Ross Clark. He's a food and drink writer and he writes a very popular Substack newsletter called The Welsh Kitchen. Hello, Ross. Hello, Jenny. Thanks for having me. I very much wanted to have you on the show because we're travelling around the countryside, basically, with this uh, journey around Britain and obviously Wales. There we go. And, you know, and there is a very famous Welsh cheese dish which leapt to my mind. (laughs) Can you guess what it might be? I mean, it comes to everyone's mind, I think, when you mention any kind of Welsh cuisine. People go searching, but they usually come to Welsh rarebit, which I'm guessing guessing is what you're you're getting at there (laughs) absolutely right yeah I mean it's um and perhaps we should this um podcast is listened around the world perhaps you should tell us sort of briefly what is a Welsh rabbit and then we can sort of go back and unpick a bit more about it yeah sure um in its simplest form it's cheese on toast (laughs) um but uh, modern Welsh rabbit, I would say, because um, it's developed over many, many years, um, is a very sort of um, deep flavoured uh, cheese sauce topping that you put mm. on toasted bread. Uh, you usually put it under the grill so it gets very um, sort of bubbly on top. Yeah. And that's essentially what a rabbit is. Um, of course, it's many, many iterations. Everyone makes it differently. Probably everyone's grandmother's makes the best one. As is classic, uh, yes. you know. I hope you're going to say that yours, you know, your family, <laughs> that your mum's is the best or whatever. So it's a bit more because it's got a, quite a long and interesting history, hasn't it, a rabbit? Yeah, well, I mean, um, cheese has been produced in Wales for centuries. You know, it's very good pasture land and certainly in the south of Wales for, for dairy, cattle, um, uh, sheep as well as Wales is very famous for sheep. So uh, sheep's milk has been used for cheese as well. But somebody asked me actually about Welsh rabbit and they said, well, how come, is it a, is it a Welsh thing? And I said, well, actually, there's probably lots of other types of rare bit. If you go in sort of older cookery books, you get Scottish rare bit and, and different things. You think of croque monsieur or whatever for, mm-hmm. from France. But if you go back even to the 16th century, I think it is. So Henry VII, who was mm-hmm. a Welsh king, he was born in Pembroke Castle. He There's records of mention of Welsh people loving roasted cheese. Ah. How sweaty poppy in Welsh, which is, I guess, 
Welsh rarebit, um, but this yes. is, you know, centuries ago. So I guess we can say that it's probably a Welsh dish or it's been known as a Welsh dish for a long, 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 long time. Yeah. And in fact, there's a... Uh, Henry VII took a lot of Welsh nobles to London to be in his court. And it turned a lot of noses up, quite frankly, in the English court at the time. <laughs> and uh, there was a lot of jokes going around then about how these Welsh people had come in and they were very boisterous and they had their, you know, very loud, as is customary with Welsh people usually. Um, and there was a joke going around that was written down that there was all these Welsh people in heaven. And God said to St. Peter, who was the porter of the gates of heaven, we've got to do something about these boisterous Welsh people. We have to somehow figure out a way of getting rid of them. And St. Peter supposedly went outside of the gates of heaven and shouted, roasted cheese. And supposedly all of the Welsh people ran out of the gates of heaven for this roasted cheese, and then St. Peter locked the gates behind them. But of well, course, you can see this idea of the nobles yes. really didn't like these Welsh yes. people being here. Yes, you've got a sense of cheese-loving, very powerful Welsh cheese-loving. Yeah, um, And this idea of roasted cheese, not just cheese, you yes. know, in its natural which form. Is, you know, which is partly why I wanted to make up about cheese cookery, because cheese is, you know, it's a wonderful food, eaten as it is. But basically, it does really lend itself to cooking, because it... You know, because it melts, <laughs> and so exactly. and so, which makes it very nice. And so, in Welsh red bit, and again, I suppose if we're thinking about Wales and Welsh food and cheese, then I would think of kefiri cheese. Mm -hmm. Is that a cheese that would be traditionally used in Welsh red bit? I'd say no. Um, ah, it's, interesting. Kefiri is very crumbly, um, mm -hmm. traditional kefiri. And if you read lots and lots of older Welsh cookbooks, they all tend to use cheddar because it melts oh, so yeah. well. Cheddar's and the great melting cheese. Exactly. Yeah. Everyone yeah. loves cheddar and everything, yes. right? Because it melts so well. Because I think it's such a useful cheese in the, the kitchen, you know. Absolutely. And it isn't really the equivalent, funny enough, in Italy. Um, so. And so I think you need one of those sort of probably slightly harder cheeses um, is yeah. better for, for rare bits. The, I mean, again, the bit of the history of it, we get to probably it really picked up in sort of Victorian times. Kind of imagine this kind of thing with cheese on toast I mean everyone loves a cheese toasty but um you see it being eaten with ale a lot so oh. a pint of ale and yeah. this kind of cheese roasted nice. cheese on toast which yeah. sounds great and then probably over time the ale started to make its way into the mix of that's this how I would think of a Welsh yes that, that's a balancing act of adding in the Melting the cheese and then stirring in the, the beer or the ale. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, so we see ale, modern day versions mostly have stout or some form of ale mm. within the cheese mix itself. But probably it's because it was originally eaten with ale. Although Queen Victoria apparently liked hers with champagne. Wow. Which I don't think is a bad pairing in all honesty. Because that <laughs> kind of acidity of champagne cutting through the sort of fatty dairiness yes, of the cheese yeah, yeah. is probably very nice. Well, she could afford it. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, and then... Typically, if you again, if you read lots of uh, old Welsh cookbooks and history of Welsh food, Welsh like spice. So if you think of mm. many of our other sort of famous dishes like Welsh cakes and barabrith, these yes. very tea loaves, they all have nutmeg, cinnamon, yeah, mace. Um, yeah. And mustard is one of the things that tends to appear in earlier Welsh rarebit ah, recipes nice. as well. So either spread on the toast before yeah. you put the cheese on or as mainly nowadays, putting it in the mix again. Right. Again, itself. so it becomes a very tasty rich mix doesn't it it's i think it's this deep flavor which yeah. all of the stout Worcestershire sauce goes in it sometimes as well oh, this yes, mustard had, yeah to kind of give it this very deep sense of this warming sense and is it in, in wales ross is that a dish if i was traveling wales would i find it on offer in cafes or pubs or or is it a home dish is it made at home for people? this is a really interesting point actually jenny because uh i don't see it all that often and certainly growing up i'm from south wales near cardiff and um I didn't see it all that much. We didn't really eat it all that much at home either. But I think it's becoming more of a thing as, as Wales is claiming its food and drink, mm. which it kind of really hasn't that all that much, I think. Well, um, same thing in, in England. I mean, I've been, yes. I mean, yeah, I've been writing about sort of English food scene for a long time and I've seen a sort of great confidence. And yes. when I was a kid, you know, people would, would laugh at the idea of good English food. I mean, partly because I was in Europe and it was French people sneering, but <laughs> and Italians been Italians just couldn't really sort of imagine it. But in fact, of course, we have got wonderful food in Britain. And, Absolutely. and you have seen that in, in Wales, are you? Both yeah, there's definitely yeah. been a a sort of uh, idea of, hang on, we've got great ingredients, natural ingredients. And yeah. our dishes might be, our classic dishes, our national dishes, I suppose, are very simple. If you think of cheese on toast or Welsh mm -hmm. cakes, you know, all of these kind of things. But actually, it's because there's very good ingredients yes, yeah, going yeah. into them. 
Well, quite. I mean, Italian food is often very simple, but depends on the quality of the ingredients to, to shine, you know. Absolutely. Um, like, you know, all these issues of the Italian tomatoes, which just don't work with English supermarket tomatoes. It's, it's uh, quite sad. Oh, that is interesting. And so cheese, so, so obviously we've talked about Welsh rabbit, which is, you know, is so sort of classic when you're thinking about Welsh cheese cookery. Are there other dishes, Ross, that you would like to mention? But, you know, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, um, rabbit is obviously the one that people think of, but cheese... Uh, the other one that people maybe know is Glamorgan sausages, which is a very yeah. interesting one. So Glamorgan sausages these days, again, it's been a recipe that's developed over time. They're vegetarian. We always say you always tend to find them on vegetarian menus. Mm. And they are a cheese and breadcrumb sausage, essentially, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in their essence. Um, so you often saute down leeks and um, usually parsley goes in and then you mix breadcrumbs and cheese to create this sausage shape with right. an egg usually um, or some kind of binding ingredient. And then you cover it in breadcrumbs, uh-huh. a bit like a, a croquette or a croqueta yes, quite a in Spain. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you either deep fry them, shallow fry them, um, mm. and bake them. And you have nice. this very nice melty sausage, Yum. essentially. That sounds delicious. Oh. I mean, leek has got such a lovely, gentle sweetness to it. Absolutely. I imagine it's very... Very nice in that. And um, again, would it be a hard cheese like a cheddar that's great? Uh, well, this is where cafili cheese... Uh-huh. tends to come in. Um, so Glamorgan sausages, again, interesting story. No one really knows the exact history of, course, of it. I know. Um, <laughs> and there's various accounts of it. I, I think it's probably a mix of all of them, in, in all honesty. But yeah. Glamorgan sausages, I think, and it's thought mainly, that probably a bit like Cumberland or Lincolnshire, these kind of county sausages. Oh, yes. was probably very similar, and they were probably meat sausages originally, but mm. possibly... Instead of using skins to wrap them, they were breadcrumbed uh-huh. instead, which might be, explain the the kind of breadcrumb uh, nature that we know. Yeah, um, there's a um, a common tale that it was a wartime idea instead of meat using right. these breadcrumbs and cheese. Yeah, um, and like I say, cavilli is used typically now because it's very light. It's got that lemony citrus. Flavor. It'd be nice with the leeks, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Very yeah. fresh, actually tasting, yes. and often yeah. it's served with. Um, a bit of a like a tomato jam or a, oh, something like yeah. that to yeah. kind of give you that thing. But Glamorgan is the interesting one because Glamorgan cheese did exist um, and Glamorgan dairy cows, the breed was around for a long, long time, typically for uh, their meat in North Wales, although mm. not exclusively, and for their dairy, their milk in South Wales. Right. Um, and they produced a cheese which apparently was similar to Caerphilly oh, cheese. Yeah. But you know, as ever, some cows will produce more milk. Yeah. And it was thought that Glamorgan cows died out the entire right. breed until Gosh. I think it was the 80s. There was a farmer in Surrey who was selling his all his cows and they were doing the test to see what breed they were. And they, he had Glamorgan cows. Oh, amazing. So they were bought by a country park in Wales near Port Albert called Margan Park, an old country estate. And they were bought to be to be reared. And I think they are crossing them with I think there's a Swiss cow breed that's very mm-hmm. similar uh-huh. um and so they're going to try and oh, bring brilliant. these these back so we could taste Gosh, this Glamorgan. Glamorgan cheese which possibly again yes. is where these sausages get their name from the yeah. Glamorgan cheese yes um that's fascinating isn't it mm. gosh it's extraordinary i mean some of the same many of those breeds we've lost the old native breeds but there is an interest i'm sure you see this ross well a obviously in keeping them going which is very important but they said there's an interest in the idea of native breeds and and that sort of sense of terroir that they bring the sense of place that they have to them but it's, it's always trying to make a market isn't it with with food you've got to there's got to be an economic well for farming you know yes it's got to make money they've got the farmers have to live completely they? i mean so yeah i guess a good resurgence has been kafili cheese because again that saw a huge decline it was hugely popular again probably victorian era you know regional cheese being mm. so quite popular in in london and london and the welsh dairy trade goes hand in hand yes of course and the trains connecting the victorian absolutely times. yeah the 1920s and 30s the pretty much all the london dairy scene was run by welsh people there were 700 mm. welsh dairies in london you could still see them but um Cavilli cheese is an interesting one, as I say, because I think that's had a huge resurgence. Because it was that interesting journey where it went down to Somerset. It was the Somerset. Yes. The cheddar makers were making Cavilli as well because it's it matures much more quickly than cheddar. So you've wrapped Absolutely. your money, you can get your money back quicker, you know, instead of it's sitting there for nine months with the cheddar. I think within sort of, you know, perhaps six to eight weeks, you could probably sell your Cavilli cheese on. And Absolutely. it was across the Bristol yes. Channel, they could get it to Wales. So that 
I did meet Chris Duckett, who was one of the famous Kifili mm. uh, makers. He was a Somerset farmer. He was a lovely, lovely man. And he had maintained that tradition. He taught um, the people who set up Gorwith Kefili came and worked on his farm because that artisan tradition of Kefili had died out in Wales. And then it was being maintained in Somerset, you know, thanks to Chris. And then it's now spread on. It's really fascinating, actually. It, it is. And again, how it was preserved not in Wales. And I think that's a yeah. really interesting point, you know, that it, it obviously yes. wasn't, whether it wasn't commercially viable or people just didn't do it anymore at home. Yeah, so it really was being made, but industrially, but it was the, the sort of farmhouse version yes. of it had gone. That was what it was. And that is, you know, sort of brutal economics, I think, basically. Yeah. So. And as you, um, an interesting point, as I was researching Welsh cheeses, and um, if you go back to the laws of Haldar, so this is 6th, 8th century even, um, and this predates English law in Wales, and Howell the Good, I suppose he was the Prince of Wales, mm-hmm. uh, kind of wrote down these first laws of Wales to kind of govern, I guess, and, and help. And it was very, um, a lot of it was based on equality, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and in it, it says that a divorced couple or people, a couple separating, the woman would get and be legally entitled to all of the brined cheese Wow. Which at the time was probably similar to Caffili type cheeses. And so, yes, the woman was entitled to all of the cheese in the house, yes. pretty much. Perhaps she would have made it. I mean, it's an interesting point. I wonder More if than likely. Was, you know, that seems very, very fair and commendable, doesn't it? So, mm, yeah. That looked quite, yeah. yeah. Yeah, fascinating. And what, so cheese obviously has played a, a part, you know, in Welsh cooking for, for centuries. So, are there other traditional dishes was what I was thinking of? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess Gabonga sausages and rarebit are the two famous ones. The other, yeah. other one that possibly again, is still sort of used or known. And I don't think it's a very, very old recipe, but certainly one that exists is Anglesey eggs. Oh, what's um, that? I didn't know it. Or in in Welsh. And it's uh, essentially mashed potato and leek, sautéed leek. Mm-hmm. I mash them together with salty butter. Welsh love salt, generally. Me too. Um, <laughs> and you have and your you... wonderful salt makers too, don't you? So, oh, yes, Hallow yeah. Morn. Again, yeah. sim- uh, interestingly, from Anglesey as well. And you put that around the edge of a sort of dish, then you chop up boiled eggs, put them in the middle of this mix, yeah. and then you pour over this cheesy roux sauce, a bit like oh, the rare bit topping, yes. if you like. And then you, again, put it in the oven. Nice. Um, that sounds delicious, actually. Yeah, I might have to make it now. I've never... Oh, that's really interesting. I've never come across that. Angles the eggs. Uh, it's definitely one to, to have a think about. And what do you... And, Ross, when you're... Because, you know, you're writing so much about Wales and the Welsh food scene and meeting producers and talking shifts. Do you see cheese being used in interesting ways in Wales is that something that you've come across yes I think there's certainly I've I've certainly never seen so many Welsh cheese producers which is fantastic people producing really interesting um types you know different types of filly or or, or whatever or flavors well, haven't you wonderful Havod. I mean there's yeah. um Kaus Canarf produces a, yes. a brie style and a, a blue yeah. style Blynafon cheese which is one awards they mature some of their cheese in the old coal pit down Amazing. underground you know fantastic ones i mean there's i've messed around with it myself recipe wise but there's a, a company called rogue welsh cakes and they make these alternative <laughs> flavored great welsh name. cakes <laughs> rogue welsh cakes. Uh, again uh started in lockdown uh, a guy yeah. him and his mum but he does some savory versions of uh, welsh cakes which yeah. are very nice and he does a, a cheesy one i think uh which again it's nice that there is different ways and i've certainly seen glamorgan sausages used as as canapes and welsh rabbit uses canapes instead right. which is quite nice yes i mean i will have rabbit topping on anything yeah, or use it as a dip with crudités yeah. it's delicious yes yeah um, and i'm nice. obviously not a staunch um it has to be done this way because again i think everyone's got their way but i did a you can have buck rabbit which has got an egg on top a poached or, or fried egg Julia Smith has got a recipe for a souffle Welsh rabbit where she whisks the egg white separately and then folds it in. And that sounded really nice. Ooh, that sounds like it'd be really light. Yeah. And then put that on the taste and, and I, I want to try again. I was like, hmm, must try that. Oh, must, uh, must try that. Yeah. I did recently. We can compare I tried to, notes. <laughs> yeah, I tried to kind of mess around with it. Uh, pears are very lovely if you put pears on the toast oh, or on top nice. and then put the cheese as well. But mm-hmm. I did a... I do a lot of things with Spanish cuisine as well as whilst I used to live in Spain yeah. for a little while. And uh, I was trying a Spanish version, I guess, or inspired version of rare bit. Did you put so, in smoked paprika? What did you so do? So I put in sweet paprika, yeah. Yeah. chopped up onions very finely, um, and then used sherry instead of ale. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, to put in there and then used manchego. And Ooh. then I topped it with some crunchy chorizo. Yeah. And that was... That sounds delicious. delicious. Yeah, that sounds really good. Um, I mean, oh, it's and like spread sort of... the toast with quince, which was... Oh, very nice touch. Yeah, that is a good touch. Membrio, fantastic. 
That mm. sounds sort of salty and fatty and all the things I like, basically. <laughs> There's another one for you to try. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, it's, the trouble is, you know, the danger of this conversation is that I will now want to head, head down to the kitchen and check I got. I can start doing this. So, oh, that's really interesting. And so having Welsh cheesemakers in Wales, we should talk about that because they said that allows them, presumably, I'm presuming that local restaurants would then put their cheeses on their cheese boards with with pride i mean is that are you seeing that happen yes absolutely i tell the the one that you often see is snowdonia cheese um mm. you see them they're little rounds in in wax yes, um, yes. lots they're of different popular. colors yes very popular they're very clever and they flavor them in different ways don't they yes so there's yeah port and yes. all sorts all sorts yeah yeah uh, but black bomber which is their probably yes, star the of the one. show is yeah. absolutely wonderful i mean i love that but you you definitely see that a lot on cheese boards. And um, in fact, near where my mum and dad still live in Wales, there's a sort of pub that does, again, it serves tapas really, but they do a cheese board, but it's Welsh cheeses oh, that's on nice. it, yeah. which is a really lovely thing. Yeah. Um, and you definitely see more on menus of, it could be any dish, but the cheese is a local cheese or it's a Welsh cheese yeah. being used. Yeah. Which that's is, good. is nice. Yes. I just don't think that was... Again, it's this kind of pride suddenly in, actually, we have really good ingredients here. Why aren't we using them? Thank you very much for sharing all that. Oh, not at all. Thanks so much for inviting me. I could talk about this all day, as you probably (laughs) guessed. (laughs) Yeah, we could be here for hours. All right. Thank you, Roz. Take care then. With their delightfully crunchy texture, Peter's Yard sourdough crackers go very well with cheese. The crackers come in a lovely range of flavours, so you can have fun experimenting with matching them to different cheeses. With their subtle nutty sweetness, the pumpkin and sunflower seed sourdough crackers are fantastic with the full flavour of a classic mature British cheddar. For further suggestions, have a look at the cheese pairing wheel on the Peter's Yard website. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Tesco, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon and specialist food retailers. This week on A Slice of Cheese, we're travelling around Britain looking at British cheese cookery and very happy to have with me today an old friend, Sue Lawrence, Scottish food writer and novelist and winner of MasterChef in 1991. Good morning, Sue. Hello. Lovely to, lovely to see you, Jenny. It's lovely to see you, Sue. Um, the joys of technology. Um, and Sue, I thought I, I thought, oh, I really want to talk to you about, about cheese in the Scottish kitchen because I was just really interested to, to, to learn more about it, really. Well, it, I mean, it's had a, a sort of different history from, I, I presume, elsewhere in the, in the United Kingdom. We were mainly into small production, as everywhere was, but it wasn't the, the main traditional cheese was called crowdy. It wasn't a pressed cheese. It was a very simple cottage or crofter's cheese which is just basically taken, you know, made with the curds. And that would be in, in the simple houses, that would be spread on bannocks or oat cakes. In the grand houses, it would be made into beautiful little tarts with some sort oh. of history, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've got recipe from 1774 of a Florentine curd tart with puff pastry. And in the middle is, is curd cheese and there's currants and there's orange flower water and then some spinach. And it's baked... Ooh. and made them I've re- recreated them and they're absolutely delicious but mm. that was the grand houses yeah. so it in you know every, everyday everyday kitchens or everyday houses it would have been just very simple crowdy a sort of very light slightly tangy um almost like a cottage cheese yes so a fresh so in fact a fresh cheese that doesn't really keep well then so it's used quick made and used quickly absolutely yeah, yeah. it would be just yeah. a, a day or two and then that, that would be it yeah 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 Interesting, which is very different. Yeah, I suppose you know, if you think of um, in England, you know, cheddar, you know, and you know, a matured, a hard cheese that takes a you know months to to make, and then is very versatile. Uh, then that was sort of all throughout throughout the many, many, many centuries, and then probably about the eighteenth century, um, a harder the Dunlop cheese in the southwest oh. of Scotland started with a lot of sort of guidance from what was going on in the in the cheddar cheddar making oh. area. And then that carried on for a couple of centuries. And sadly, you know, there's not many traditional ones with the sort of Dunlop label now, but we've got some amazing farmhouse cheeses now, as you know. So luckily, the hard cheeses have come on. And also, sheep's used milk cheese used to be so 
uh, ubiquitous. It just, you know, everywhere in Scotland you went, it was sheep's milk cheeses. And that sort of died out. But now again, there's a revival. And we've got some wonderful sheep's milk cheeses, as you will know. And so, Sue, you know, you were a wonderful cook. Um, what, how do you enjoy cooking with, with, with cheese yourself in the kitchen? Oh, well, one one thing that I was brought up with, and I mean, you and I laugh about it, Jenny, is the cheese scone. Um, <laughs> I'm just obsessed by them. Anytime I go to a cafe, the test of a good cafe is, is it is its cheese scone good? Mm. Like, you know, the proper chefs, when they start off, is your omelette any good? This yeah. is what my my sort of um, criteria is for a good... Yes, foundation. <laughs> Sometimes they look good and yeah. look nice easy but they're solid sometimes they look terrific you taste them and they're slightly sweet why would you put sugar in a cheese scone mm. uh, and sometimes also you're offered butter and jam with it why would you want jam with a cheese scone <laughs> jam is for normal scones yeah. fruit scones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're so easy to make and you know i, I make them with my, my my small grandchildren even down to the two-year-old and they're just yeah. such a total even if you don't have any scales i, I do them when we, we go on I, to isle on holiday all of us and Often there's not scales and no measurements, but just get a feel of how much to put in. And the main thing is lots and lots of cheese. Excellent. Oh, that's good. So, and so do you, what, so you would rub in your like, butter into the flour to start with and then grated cheese mixed in? I use plain flour and then baking powder, kind of more old-fashioned recipe than self-raising flour. But if you just got oh. self-raising flour, I add you know, a little bit of either bicarb or baking powder just right. to help the, the mm. rise. Ideally sour milk, but who, who could find sour milk these days? Buttermilk is good, but normal milk yeah. is fine. I also add an egg. A lot of people don't, oh, but I like oh, an egg. Yeah. Add to the um, richness of it somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Not always with my fruit scones, but always with my cheese scones. Add in the, the grated cheese. I mean, for 450 grams of, of flour, mm -hmm. it's at least 300 grams of grated, good, mature cheddar. Oh, wow. I was going to say that the quality of, you know, a tasty cheddar cheese makes all the difference to a cheese scone, doesn't it? Because obviously, you know, in Britain it's sold, you know, from mild to mature. And really I would always go for a mature one because I'd want that, that the savouriness, the flavour. Absolutely, yes. I mean, and also some people put in a touch of cayenne, a touch of dry mustard powder, uh, chopped fresh mm. herbs, dries are good, or even tarragon. But when I'm making them with the kids, it's it, they're quite plain. And then the usual thing with scones, very hot oven. And then, you know, just tear them open a bit of butter oh. sometimes i actually embellish them by adding a dollop of thick cheese sauce onto the top of the scone before it goes in the oven and really? this yes and this almost blisters um as it's baking and you watch it rise and it all starts sort of going history wow. and that just adds a lovely soft squishy top to this gorgeous lovely ray scone Oh, okay. Gosh, you've, that's, you've, yeah, no wonder you're obsessed, Sue. I mean, this is really, yeah, I'm like, I, I'm impressed. I've got, to, I'll have to explore. I don't think, I think mine have been very one dimensional compared to yours. I need to, I need to, to up my, my cheese scone game <laughs> with your advice and guidance. So I should do that. What are, what are other ways that you enjoy um, using cheese in the kitchen, Sue? A very, a very, again, traditional thing that we do in Scotland is called rumbledy thumps. And my mum used to make it a lot. It's basically potatoes, cabbage and cheese. But mum always used to do like a sort of clap shop, which is a mixture of mashed potato and turnip mashed together. And then lots of butter in a pan. And you would uh, saute or lightly fry some very finely shredded cabbage, preferably Savoy. Mm -hmm. Or you could add kale would have been traditional in the past. And... With that, you then, once the cabbage is just cooked, mix them all together, loads of pepper, and then put it into an oven dish, and then lots and lots of grated cheese on top into the oven. And it's a lovely side dish, even for something just like haggis or something like, um, you know, a steak, a chop. Uh, it's obviously not a barbecue dish. It's not a, a sort of um, a summery dish. But yeah. in the winter, it's the most delicious either, you know, just a main course you can have or as a side dish. It's just delicious. And it's a name as well, isn't it? Meant to come yeah. from rumbles means kind of mashing and and um, thump, obviously pounding it together. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I'm going to that. I don't know it. I, I'm going to try that too. This is very exciting. You're expanding my my cooking repertoire. Um, yeah. And what would so and yes, carry on. What what other? I mean, uh, well, other, obviously yes. savoury quiches, of course. And right. depending on what cheese I'm using, sometimes I would just do a good cheddar. Uh, Westry Wife is a lovely cheddar from Orkney or, or one of the, for example, a Tom, which I can buy from the Ethical Dairy, which, you know, the lovely organic dairy, which do mm. um, cow with calf production these yeah. days. 
amazing. Amazing, yeah. Beautiful tom. And one of their toms is matured. So that's about eight months old, which is, you know, much younger, much older than their normal production line. And that I would grate or just chop and serve it in a, in a, a quiche, maybe a tiny bit of oatmeal in my pastry to make it a little bit crisper. And then a homemade uh, red onion marmalade dolloped all over it. And that is really very, very tasty indeed. And then obviously a normal sort of custard of the egg and the milk. But uh, the main thing is the, the really good cheese, a sort of alpine tom type cheese mm. and a lovely red onion marmalade. Delicious. Gosh, yes, that does sound very good. I mean, yeah. and so and what, are there any sweet in the, you know, there's a, the cheesecake tradition. Is there is there a cheesecake tradition in Scotland to use it using soft cheese? Yeah, mainly from the old recipe books. You know, and using lovely flavourings like orange flower water, rose water, etc., mm. etc. But I suppose the cheesecake um, uh, sort of tradition w- w- died for a bit, and then now it's being revived in places like Orkney, where you have a lovely Orkney fudge cheesecake, and it's mm. made with either a curd or a cream cheese. Yeah. And Orkney fudge is chopped up into it, and the cheese is made with some double cream in a normal cheesecake base. It's it's an unbaked one, so it's digestive wow. biscuits. And while it chills, you know, a, a night, a couple of nights even, the, the fudge sort of melts into the cream cheese and the cream mixture. And it is the most divine cheesecake. If you haven't had Orkney fudge cheesecake, that is quite a, it's quite a thing, I have to say. I can't add that to my, my list of my girls. Yeah, yeah. 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 Isn't that interesting? We always, yeah. We always had at Hogmanay, a New Year in Scotland, very traditional, when you went round to so many people's houses, as, as we always did at you know, midnight first footing. There was always black bun, which is a very rich, um, almost like a Christmas cake um, within a, a pastry casing. And then we always had shortbread, but with the shortbread, you always had cheese. And it was always a slice of, um, you know, of cheddar, Scottish cheddar with the shortbread. And the two, the sort of lightly textured, crunchy with the sugar shortbread, and the, the lovely sort of melting texture, but quite sort of um, giving texture of the cheddar and the savoury and the sweet worked beautifully together. You ate them together. I suppose a bit like the apple pie cheddar thing in, is that yeah. Yorkshire? Well, I was thinking of um, fruit cake and, and yes. ice, you know, actually of thinking of that combination, which is, which I first encountered in, in York when I went to university there. Um, yes. Yeah, that's a really good pairing, isn't so it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, so is that does that still happen, Sue? Do you know that that pairing? Yeah. Well, yeah. Certainly, yes, in my house. Um, yeah. and it's just uh, you know, shortbread with cheese is ab- absolutely wonderful. Another thing we used to have um, as more of, yeah, when we were young, we came out of the swimming pool and they were absolutely freezing. We had something called a shivery bite, and a shivery bite <laughs> is when you're literally shivering. You're absolutely freezing, and you need yeah. something to eat. Yes. Um, I did it with my kids, but and uh, it was usually you know something like shortbread. But my dad used to love it, and this is in the 1930s in Dundee. Mm-hmm. An Abernethy biscuit. Are you familiar with an no, Abernethy? No, not. No. A sort of light, not like a digestive. I uh, can't even think of an equivalent. Sort of almost light as a wafer, but a sweet biscuit. Oh. And he would have had that. His mother yeah. would have given him, but spread with butter and then cheese on top, almost like a a sandwich, but with two oh. slight sweet biscuits. And that was just a thing that he always had as his shivery bite when he came out from swimming. Shivery, that's so perfect. I was thinking my shivery bite when I came out from Cratch and Swimming Pool was to go over the road and buy some chips. <laughs> Very nice. No. Or a wagon wheel, which seemed like a totally exotic, you know, luxury yeah. when I was about yeah. nine. So, exactly, yeah. yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and you've heard about the macaroni cheese pie, the little Scottish pie. No, I haven't. This is, well, well this, this is something that's... Again, I didn't think it was that traditional, but looking at the history of it, it actually, it was kind of invented in Dundee, my hometown in the 1920s. Mm. It's a little, like a scotch pie, which we usually fill with mutton and now more beef with hot water, a crust. And then, you know, individuals are quite small. And that is filled instead with a meat filling with macaroni cheese and then topped with some cheddar. And they're often served now at football matches alongside the, you know, the sort of greasy meat pies yeah. or often at an evening wedding reception because it's hearty and it's delicious. And, uh, you know, ev- everyone has done some dancing or whatever. And this is just the most perfect thing to eat. That's interesting, isn't it? That's, and is yeah. that something that you would buy out rather than make at home? Is it something you Oh, yeah, to- always. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, you can buy them in, in all, all the local, all the local uh, bakers, not the butchers because that's more the meat pie, but yeah. the bakers. Absolutely have them, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it's nothing as exotic as, say, Lampedusa's amazing macaroni pie in his oh, novel. That description. Like that. I've always wanted to eat that. It's, it's an amazing novel called The Leopard, and he describes this magnificent Sicilian nobleman and the feast. Yeah. Yes. This yes. wonderful um Oh, it's kitchen. incredible, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, it's one of yeah. the great bits of food writing, isn't it? Yeah. That's yeah, so this is nothing like that. <laughs> that sounds very, very comforting and very tasty. I mean, I think what's fascinating, Sue, is that you know how food, food traditions uh, carry on and stick, and you know, and even what you were saying, you know, all these things that you were telling me about that I have never, you know, down here in London, I have not come across, not seen. They haven't, they haven't travelled, you know, uh, within Britain. Mm. It is, it's one of those powerful things about food. I think that it's, it's the way it connects to place is so interesting, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's great. You mentioned Errington's earlier. So, um, you know, the way they and so many other fantastic um, you know, artisan cheesemakers up here, you know, they are using, they're back to using a used milk, which, of course, was was done centuries ago. But also, have you tried their Coraline? Yes, that's beautiful cheese, it, isn't it? I mean, it's now called Scotland's Pecorino. It, I love the flavour. It's and it's so versatile. I mean, I, I make it in little, I use it grated because it's a nice hard cheese. It's mm. quite firm. It's mm, yes. stored for about a year and um, put it into little tartlets, usually filo pastry with some saffron and a little sort of um, very creamy custard. And it's it's kind of got a Spanish feel to it and because it's of Scotland's pecorino and crispy filo pastry. It's delicious with, say, a glass of dry sherry, for example. Like a little nibble, you'd serve it. As yes. A, yeah. Yeah, yes. Gosh, yeah. Gosh, how nice. I mean, that isn't, we should talk, yeah, we should touch on the fact of scotland's cheese makers because they're so important you know it is and again it goes back to that sense of place in you know and obviously cheese comes from a place because you know the the livestock um, whether they be cows or, or sheep or goats are, are eating the grass eating the pasture of that place and so it's a really wonderful relationship do you think there's a, is there a pride you've got your wonderful um cheese shops haven't you You've got mellis in scotland and george muse another very very yes, good of course yes and do you think in have you seen a sort of in Britain, Sue, in my career as a food writer, I saw much more of an interest in and a pride actually in British food develop over decades that I've been writing. Have you seen the same in Scotland? Or was it was it always there? Or exactly like you, Jenny. Um, you know, it has been revived, and of course the chefs have sort of kick-started it because now they will not just say cheese uh, as opposed to dessert for your uh, you know at the end of your meal they will actually say not just where it's from they will actually say mellis or mu cheeses yeah. in, in, they will actually specify for example the coraline and it's a used milk or they'll say um you know a mulled cheddar cow's milk etc and so they you know so they're really making people think about the provenance of their food right back to the producers not just oh it's a nice yeah. cheese ball and yeah. i think that's absolutely brilliant yeah, it is really interesting because in France it's a different tradition. You would, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't know the maker. You'd know the affineur, the, the the maturer, and that would be the stamp. And that's really interesting because obviously they would have a you know a, a reputation. But in Britain we've got this very direct in the world of cheese. The way you know in artisan cheese, we know we know the makers, which I think is a very special thing. And the people, I always feel, you know, I'm so struck when I talk to cheese and the hard work that goes into making cheese, and especially with farmhouse cheese where they've got the livestock. They're looking after, you know, day in, day out, and then the making and all the skill and heart and physical labour. Yes. And then, you know, and then we, we, you know, we're blessed because we just go, we go to a lovely cheese shop and we get to buy the fruits of their labours, you know. That's right. And to taste mm. them. That's what all the good cheese shops are so good about. Have a taste of this and that. And that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And they all sell, you know, certainly in Scotland, yes, of course, they sell crackers to go with cheese, but so many different oat cakes because oat cakes and cheese up here is absolutely... Wow thing um yeah. and oat cakes can be thin or quite thick and uh, and crumbly yeah. coarse texture depending on what, what kind of oatmeal you use yeah and so it's such a lovely combination and you can actually put some grated cheese into if you make homemade oat cakes um mm. a cheesy oat cakes which are delicious and you just need those with a little bit of butter because you've already got your cheese in the oat cake delicious would you recommend that people make is it nice to is our homemade oat cakes delicious are they quite easy yeah. to make? yeah very easy traditionally it was always made on the what i call a girdle but you would call the griddle yeah. um you know the big round pan with the handle on the top my, i've got my mum's but then when you when you made them traditionally you only ever cooked oat cakes on one side and then you would toast them uh, with a toasting fork against a fire and ah. i'm showing with hands which of course yeah. uh, listeners can't see so that they didn't become tough you didn't want to cook them on both oh, sides so nowadays the easier way to do that is one start them on the griddle or girdle and then finish them in the oven on the other side right. or 
Easiest of all is, of course, just to do both in the oven. Just start them in the oven, and then you may have to turn them over. Right. And they're incredibly easy. And as I say, the texture is is so different. If you use a fine oatmeal, it'll be sort of melt in the mouth. A, a medium oatmeal, a bit of bite, a coarse or pinhead oatmeal, you've got a, which I prefer, a mm. lovely, coarse, uh, delicious bite to your oat cake. And that goes mm. beautifully, I think, with a nice, hard, hard-pressed cheese. Yeah. Wonderful. Oh, well, Sue, that's been, you have actually made me very, it's such a cliche, I end up saying this so often, but it's true, you've made me so hungry. <laughs> so <laughs> now, now craving cheese scones, rumbly tump, all these delicious things, <laughs> macaroni and cheese pie, I must try that. So would the, does that have a pastry covering the macaroni and cheese pie? No, unlike the meat one, that just yeah. has a, a sort of lovely, a crusty cheese topping. Nice. It's, yeah, it's delicious. Oh, good, okay. <laughs> I will. Okay, I will. I will report back, Sue. Oh well, listen. Thank you so much for taking the time. It was a real pleasure to talk to you. Oh, Sue. thank you. Lovely, <laughs> lovely that cheese. As any. <laughs> <laughs> lovely. Thank you. Take care then. Bye. Okay. Sue. Thank you. Bye bye. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Thank you so much for listening to a slice of cheese. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed it, it would be lovely if you could rate us on wherever you've found this podcast. It will make such a difference to us. So I hope you'll enjoy us again. Thank you very much.